Hey, Rasek Kleila. Yes, William Heath. Yes. Nice you. to see you. You too. You too. First up, I'm really sorry I woke you up this morning. <laughs> no, that's fine. I actually woke up first and I went back to sleep. So that's fine. I was already awake. You were going for that bit of cheeky extra snooze, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's so Audio. beautiful, that bit. I love that bit. And it's bad to have it disturbed. Uh, yeah, I thought because you replied earlier that you were maybe a I rise I early to make some tea type person. <laughs> okay, yes. I do usually wake up early, you know, start the day early, get ready for it. You're ready, you know, you're feeling yeah. prepared. No, get I'm more so- things done. <laughs> Listen, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to this. As you know, Tosin, mm. who I normally present with, she's in hospital. She's going to have a heart transplant. Wow, okay. But um, but you've landed us a really interesting guest. So should, should we do an Inner City show together? Why not? Why not? That'd be superb. So, um, and Tosin, uh, I think we should send her our best wishes. She 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 gives us our blessing and wishes us a lot of fun today. Okay, good. Yes. Do you want to say something about the very special guest you've lined up for us? What, now? A little bit. I mean, before, then we'll do the intro music and then we'll introduce him and he'll be there sort of thing. But I think, I think give the listeners a sneak preview. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. So uh, when, when do we start recording? Are recording already? okay okay cool good so um i'm not i'm not going to give the listeners too much before he comes but this man here is a living inspiration you know he's made a complete difference in terms of his life and for people around him he's created a paradigm shift he's broken down stigmas and stereotypes he's literally a living revolution so you know when he comes let's just take all the gems and let's soak it up and let's improve our lives and yeah you know help to improve the planet because <laughs> he, he's a super successful entrepreneur isn't he I mean, by any measure and he's a rastafari entrepreneur precisely in england there's not any on his level and he's a musician it's going to be education on each side for all of us i think yeah. we'll all be able to share gems and the levels of enlightenment but i think it'll just be fun as well it'll be a yeah, nice agree. conversation yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and he's chosen some banging tracks hasn't he Dennis Brown, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> this is Imperial Voice, streaming from the palace of His Imperial Majesty, Haile Selassie. Mistakes is, the, mm-hmm. is that crucial mentor that unseen mentor that steps on your shoulder his majesty he said something to the effect of whatever country you find yourself in you have to respect to Imperial Voice. This is In Our City. As listeners will know, my co-presenter Tosin is in hospital. We're sending our best wishes for her heart transplant. I'm really pleased to be co-presenting this show with Akhila, and Rasa Akhila has got a very special guest for us today. Akhila, please introduce our guest. Okay, so I just had to start off with a little prayer, you know, to get into the right meditation. So, Bessam Ab, Wawel, Wawel, Fiskadus, Ahadu Amlak, Ja Rastafari, 
So first and foremost, I want to give thanks and praise for William Heath, the co-host, you know, for his life, for his existence, for the things that he's doing for Bath, you know. And also, I want to give thanks and praise for the living legend, you know, someone that I truly believe Marcus Garvey will be proud of, someone that I truly believe Prophet, um, Prophet Gad will be proud of. This is a man that is living self-sufficiency, living revolutionary in our times, you know. So I want everyone to grab gems, have a notebook, have some pen, you know, and take as much as you possibly can. This man is the living legend I'm talking about, the dragon slayer himself, Levi Roots. Peace, my brother. Respect, respect to Kayla. Thank you so much for having me on. It, it really is a blessing. It's, it's one of these things that you, you talk, well, I talk to so many people, um, you know, conversations about, you know, from anything from music to entrepreneurship, but it, it's only a few that really inspires me that actually wants to to engage. And I think this is one of those few that um, that I actually do want to engage. Because yeah. it's very close, to, very close to my heart. Absolutely wonderful. Good thanks, good thanks, good thanks. There's so much we want to learn about Levi, Levi. So much, you know, your background, how things started, your mindset, you know, because we know the general things we see many interviews and many people have done well they've asked you about um how it was like in jamaica we know about your mother your grandmother you know the recipe but take us through like from your perspective what it was like in jamaica and what it was like in brixton well jamaica is really paradise as as we mm-hmm. all know and and if you're lucky enough to be born in paradise then that, that's got to be a blessing in in some mm-hmm. ways or whatever, whatever other afflictions may come with that because mm-hmm. With the good always comes the bad as well, too. Don't expect to just waller in paradise and, and everything is all good. You know, there's also you know, uh-huh. that thing that you've got to rise up against as well. And for me as a family, for us as a family, it was poverty. You know, that, that amongst uh-huh. the beautifulness of paradise, there was this poverty of, of people uh-huh. in, in the parish that I came from in Clarendon. Um, uh-huh. And People back then, they were Clarendonians, were one of the first to, to say, you know, I'll, I'll travel to the UK when that time came, when I think it was around about, in my parents' time, it was in the 60s, but of course the Windrush started from 1948. But it, it was, it, it was Clarendon people were one of the Jamaican parishes that there was a lot of people that were leaving, that were willing to go abroad and work and do all the jobs, you know, four or five jobs, and then send back the money to help the family. Hard-working, very hard-working people. I grew up seeing my, my mother and my grandmother and my grandfather working, you know, from like five o'clock in the morning, they would be getting up and eating some big, I would see my grandfather actually eating what we would now call the dinner, because he would be having like, you know, the big food um, uh-huh. in the morning, at six o'clock in the morning that, you know, my grandma would have to get up and, and cook for him. And, and as a boy, I, I took it in that this man is going out to do big man work, mm. you know, um, to, to fend for the family. And of course, my, my father was looking to come to the UK and so was my mom. So these people were entrepreneurs, you know. I mean, we don't see them as that now because mm-hmm. we think of the word entrepreneur and we think about it, men working around with briefcase, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff working in Threadneedle Street, uptown and places like that. But I, I've always seen my parents and the people at the time in Clarendon in those days as great entrepreneurs who were willing to, you know, to go into places that they didn't even knew existed um, mm-hmm. outside of, of Jamaica. Right. But the key thing was they wanted to work hard, 
I wanted to send for their family. And that's my background back in, in Clarendon. And being part of that and having to wait for my time to come to the UK, because in those days, it was the same thing. Send for the kids one at a time. Every year, one would go. And you'd miss your brother and your sister. And, and before you knew it, it was your time to, to travel. And yeah. you know, eventually, my time came to, to, to travel and leave my beloved grandma and come to the UK and and that's where life changed for me from this idyllic paradise. Um, mm-hmm. Nobody asked me, did I want to come? You know, mm-hmm. um, you know I was a human being at the time. You know, I was, I was still like, you know, eight, nine years old. I still understood, you know, the, the thing about missing your people and uprooting yourself from, from somewhere, going to a place where, you know, like nobody really sat me down and says, you know, young man, do you really want to go? Um, or would you want to stay here with your grandma in this beautiful paradise? Um, or do you want to go to a cold country where there's no leaves on the trees in winter and not, nothing like everywhere mm-hmm. where everything where I was from in Clarendon, you know, was alive. Everything is alive and we're, was breathing. Nothing was dead. And and yeah, come to the UK and life change mm-hmm. from paradise from paradise to disaster. I I suppose as a young as a young child back then. So it was we, clo- it was cold. Hmm. There were no leaves on the trees. What were your other impressions of the UK, the anti paradise? Yeah, it, it was it was the loneliness of feeling alone because from where I was from, I grew up in the term that is now derived the term of yardie, but I derived from the real term of the term of yard, living in a yard with your family, where the concept of no children is grown up by you know, by one parents comes from. It's the whole village. That's where it comes from. That's where I was born into. And, and all of a sudden, I was uprooted from this place where everyone's a friend and a family to a place where you can live next door to your neighbor for years and you don't even know their first names or, or, or anything about their family. And, and that was one of the big difference for me as well. You know, I, I didn't have that, that community connection as, as I did when I grew up in this poor paradise um but the beautiful thing about the poor paradise is is that everyone that you lived around was part of your own and then i came into an existence where you was a stranger not just because of the financial differences but worsely because of the color of your skin and i I never had that experience where i was coming from there was no such thing that that. even as a child you know i have a nine-year-old son now and he understands racism yeah chris if it was around me um, when I was at that age, and I would have understood it, but I never, I never got racism when I was um, in Clarendon as a young child. And it was one of the first things that hit me uh, of how different the people were when I eventually came to the UK. And, and that was a difficult one to deal with as, as, as a child. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, c- coming home from school, I remember, you know, turning to my right, and there I have some lovely white friends that I had gathered from the estate that was behind our house. And we were all friends. They would love the music that we were talking about in Jamaica. By then, I was about 12 years old, and I was telling them about my boy Lollipop and explaining to them the ska music. Everything was nice when I turned right. But turning left, the other white kids wanted to rip your head off. You know, they, these were not, not, the, not the fashion white kids. They were the fascist white kids. Yes, <laughs> you don't want to see them when you turn left and <laughs> going home from school, and and that was that hit me really hard, you know that that this was a place that I had to fix up and and change my ways from loving everyone 
you know, from where I was from in Clarendon. Well, that's, that is amazing, you know. So what do you think? So now we're seeing, I think for the listeners, I want them to really understand that it started off from your parents, your grandparents, seeing them as people that are risk takers. They're willing to, um, they're quite adventurous. But also you coming out of your comfort zone, it makes you, it forces you to go deeper within. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So now we're seeing, it's, it's really interesting. And also education. You said before that you wasn't formally educated in Jamaica, in Clarendon. But once you come to England, that's when the form of education started. What was that like for that? Well, that was a forced thing um, because as, as a child, education is, is not forced on you. It's, it's a natural progression. You know, your parents send you to school and you get into the focus of that. And it's natural. It's like it's meant to be. Um, but in, in the learning of life, you're not supposed to be pushed into the forced into the learning of life, which is what you have to do when you're a child, uprooted from the things you know your force for that change and it's a difficult one which which I, I think not a lot of people knew the pains like myself was going through at the time when I, I miss my grandma so much she was the only one that I knew as mom and dad I, I miss Clarendon I, I miss coming out of my house and going down the road and every tree that I pass has fruit on it I, I miss the fact that I didn't have to rely on so much on my grandma and my kids that I could be out and fend for myself so you're forced having to change. I suppose your culture is the right way I'm, I'm, mm. right word I'm looking for, which as a child, that's not supposed to happen. You're, you're supposed to educate yourself by going to school and learning your life around. But your, your, your liberty and your culture is not supposed to force on you that you can't turn left. Like I was just saying about yeah. turning left is danger yeah. because, yeah. you know, that's the part of society that don't want me, that didn't, that didn't want me. Um, and then, uh, you know, turning right is fine. You know, there was people that did want you. You have a different race, different color, different language, different food, everything. But they wanted you. But it is dealing with the fact that you had to juggle life as a, as a young child what was, was one that was a hard one, hard lesson for me to learn. Yeah. And, and me getting into a lot of trouble um, because I struggled with that part of, of life. Of, I wanted the freedom that was Clarendon as a child, uh, me, of that, uh, that allowed me. And yet here I was in a place where I had to struggle for an, an identity. For, for first of all, I, you know, I had a name. I, now I, I started to understand who I was back, back then. It would have been easier if I, was, if I was understanding myself as a child in my own culture. Mm -hmm. um, but understanding who you are as you grow, yeah, uh, when there's also a war against you telling you you shouldn't be you, be someone else. Um, that's also a difficult one to deal with. Finding out that my name was was a Scottish name of Keith, and I wanted to be a Rasta, and 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 you know trying to juggle the change of how can you be a Keith, and and you know and and be an African child knowing mm -hmm. that from there. So hence the, the name change thing came around that. I refused to be Keith anymore by the time I was 16. You know, I, I didn't want to be this Keith Graham. Who was he? You know, and finding out that that was a Scottish name and about slavery and all these things. If you didn't listen to reggae, your, your slave part of you and all this kind of stuff would have just gone by, like many kids that I knew in those times. Mm. If you weren't awakened because of Rastafari that was coming through in the 70s, you know, you you was asleep for a long time about who you are, who you are, 
but it's a good thing that I, I, I got the message of Rastafari from an early day and, and started that metamorphosis of coming away from the keys and, and finding who I really am, you know, who I identify with in, in this place that we now, we now know call Babylon. Mm-hmm. But really, it was just surviving. It was just surviving mm-hmm. here was the key mm-hmm. thing as a child. Yeah, um, yeah and, and the trouble came in because of not being able to focus on the school stuff because um, I was too busy trying to be cool over, over, over the other side. Um, trying to find identity there, yeah. um, and to get you into a, a, a lot of trouble, and then you, you have to find yourself in a position where you have to admit to yourself that you're going the wrong way, which is perhaps the hardest thing to do. Um, but but I eventually admitted that I was going the wrong oh, way. Um, it, it was the hardest thing to admit to myself that you're rubbish. You're not really good at what you think you are doing, and maybe you need to look elsewhere. Um, that was my biggest change right when I did that. So Levi, you, you've talked about the change of culture, which was kind of forced on you and, and the struggle for identity, which I think all kids growing up have. But for you, it was that yeah. much more complicated because you're in a cold country where the leaves leave the trees and there isn't any fruit. I, I, I love the, the imagery of that, the, the natural world imagery, which is kind of lacking when you're in the UK. But then you talk about uh, adopting Rastafari and you, you changed your faith, didn't you? You, you, you stepped away from Christianity and, and became Rastafari around 18. Do you want yeah. to just talk us through that journey and what, what that faith journey meant to you? Yeah, it, it meant catching up with the news that was coming from America um, at the time. Because American kids were, you know, well voiced in, in what they were with, you know, with the civil rights movement and so many inspirational people was, was there. And we used to occasionally get these magazines while we were in school and learn about these inspirational people in America, you know, the Soledad Brothers, Angela Davis, and, and all these great names that we can go on and on and on and, and go mm-hmm. on. But here in the UK, we never really had that. Um, and, and it was striving, trying to find out what was happening around the world when you were younger and you were hearing some of the music that was coming through. And then bang, all of a sudden, Bob Marley happened. And, you know, and then reggae. I mean, a, a sudden awakening, turning point, then I need to find out about this Keith situation. Um, you know, who was he and who do I want to be? Because here was a man who was telling me that you're not Keith. You know, you're not Keith, you're, you know, you're a Kwame or you're some other something else, which is African, but find out who you are. That was what reggae music was saying in those days. And, and I listened to it, you know, I, I thought that I needed to change from, from that. That wasn't getting me anywhere. The Keith thing was got me into prison when I was still in school. I did my first three months while I was still there struggling, trying to find identity, who I am, and following friends and getting myself in trouble by following, not having mm-hmm. an identity. And, and, and when the whole Rastafari thing came and I, 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 I switched from the keepers and Levi Roots, you know, um, the month of June, you're a priest, you're, you know, that's, that's who you are. You are a man that always has a book in your hand and you read about yourself as who you are, as that priest, that, you know, God's own child, all that kind of stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. It, it was educating me, this Rastafari thing. So I, I latched onto that and, and, and Levi, Roots, Levi Roots was born. And for me, that was the awakening of, of who I am. Still, still, there was pressure. You know, it didn't change me um, completely. But the identity, I think, was important um, for mm-hmm. me. And that's where it started. And, and the, it's that same identity that when I, I believe that 
if I had looked or sounded or had a different vibe of any other person than who I was when I eventually ended up on Dragon's Den, I don't think I would have got the investment or the public wouldn't have seen me in that kind of way um, because that is the vibe of a Rasta man. Um, and, and, and you don't get that by accident. You can't plan that. For me, it, it, I, didn't, I didn't realize that until I was 48. So that shows people that it's not something that you can boast about or turn around in a day or two. It's a lifetime of, of struggle, you know, that you learn from your mistakes. I, I always see that mistakes are feedback. And it's because I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. By the time I knew how to handle my mistakes, I was 48. And I was the best Levi Ruth that I could be by then. That I could be confident enough to go on television without ever seeing that program ever or knowing mm -hmm. anything about it. But I was confident that, you know, with this song and with this teaching, who I am as Levi Roots, I could represent, you know, myself there and, and then. And it's that confidence which, which takes you, that you, you develop on your journey along the way. So me, for me, feedback right. and mistakes is not mistakes. You know, mistakes is, the, mm -hmm. is that crucial um, mentor, that unseen mentor that steps on your shoulder. That every time, you know, you, you, you think that you know things, that mistakes that you made will actually tell you, no, you made it before, man. Don't, don't go down that route. Do something else. If you've never failed, then you'll never do the right thing. And, and that's mm -hmm. how I've always seen life. So I think at, at that point, Akira, shall we listen to, uh, Levi has chosen some fantastic tracks for us, and should we bang in the first track, which is Shine by Aswad? Le Levi, just tell us, tell us a bit about the track and why it means a lot to you. It, it means a lot because, mainly because we've just lost the drummer, um, Drummy Zeb, um, perhaps one of the most inspirational musicians, you know, this country has ever come across, Aswad, um, the drummer. Um, who came from somebody from Labrigrove that I knew as, as a kid growing up. And, and the news just really, I think everybody in reggae music, you know, that we've lost this, you know, this great personality in drum, drum is it. And, and this track is, is a very inspirational track. It was one of these tracks that when I was growing up again to, you know, you listen to because it was, a, I think it came about because of a TV program. Um, that was telling kids that you should shine like a star no matter who you are. And it's a perfect one for me to, to choose and play homage to Drummy Zen, the drummer of Aswad, who we lost recently.
but yeah, we're back now. You know, Imperial Voice, Rasakila Kadan, Levi Roots, William Heath. We're going to get back into it. More gems. Keep your pens. Yes, sir. So, Levi, really? that, you, that, that's, um, you chose a track by Aswad, but you're, you're yeah. a, a music, musician of considerable stature yourself, aren't you? I mean, it's very modest of you not to choose one of your own tracks, but you've played with some amazing people, haven't you? I have, and really have been so so lucky. And you know, as I says, you know, people ask me all the time, you know, you know, on that immortal journey, would you take your guitar or a bottle of sauce? You know, you know, as as your ideal thing to take. But I've always said that the food fills me in some kind of way and inspires me for a time, but you still get hungry. But the music. It's, it's forever inspirational. With, with the amount of music that I'm listening to, I will always have music to inspire me. That, that never goes. So that's always been my heartbeat. And, and I suppose when I was asked by the BBC to go on that show, I, I chose to sing knowing that nobody had ever sang before on the show because they had told me that, you know, I think they were trying to warn me that, you know, you know Levi, if you want to sing the X Factors next door, you know, man, this is not about music. <laughs> this is about business and enterprise. They were trying to warn me that. But I thought that I wanted to be me. You know, I, I didn't want to pretend to be this businessman that knew everything, like, you know, whatever. I wanted to be me with the mistakes and everything and all that, 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 I, that I can. So the music was was always crucial. And, and hearing the track as well just reminded me back, back in the day when we started out, my, my first band, um, was a band called Matic 16, you know, that, that, you know, that we had you know, a really good time with. But I suppose the music, the love for music came from a sound system um, because most people, and I think most people that knows me from back in the day will associate me, not with reggae, reggae sauce, they'll associate me with the great Sir Cox and Alternational. And, and I will always say, I'm still in the back of that truck, of the Sir Cox truck as a box boy as we used to be called then, because it was the great Festus, the selector for Coxon, that, that saw me one day where I was on the, on the front line, um, mocking about, as always, getting into trouble, and Festus invited me to come and help him to put a, a box, a speaker box, into the truck, because the sound was going to play out that same night. And, of course, as a young kid, I said, wow, you know, Festus, I recognized him instantly. And, and, and I rushed to help him, you know, put the speaker box in the truck and lift everything up, even these massive boxes that four people could lift. I had them on my back, my own. I was so excited <laughs> put them in the back of the truck. Then he, he said the immortal thing, do I want to come to the dance? Oh, my God. You know, a few friends, me and Black Adred were there at the time, Black two of us are school. Yeah, mm. two of us are school friends. Um, you know, Festa says, do you want to come into the, to the dance that night? You know, you can imagine the glee from us. You know, so of course, we dived into the back of that truck. We didn't even go home to get any clothes. We were going to Wolverhampton. Um, we right. dived in the back of the truck. And that was 1975, I think it was, 1975. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I say that I, we haven't left out of the back of that truck. We're still in there. Our minds and, our, and the way that we vibe and everything that we do comes from music and comes from that sound system, Sir Coxon. I suppose that was our LCN days when it, when it comes to our youth and the best stories that we have to tell. Um, and I would vouch for, you know, Blacker and Festus and Lloydie Coxon and all of us. I suppose mm -hmm. the best stories and most enjoyable ones that we have to tell 
has to be from the days of our clash with the great Jashaka, uh, you know, and Saxon sound system. And, you know, of course, the downfall when Saxon started to come through and, of course, Coxon started to go down and, you know, Papa Levi came up and Levi Roots started to go down. And, and that was the metamorphosis of sound system where we ruled for a long time and then Saxon came along and took over from me, Coxon. But you know, my heart is still there in the back of that that sound sound truck of Coxon because that for me that was the great my greatest times. Yes, I want to say as well. Um, I want to big up when you mentioned it's a quote. Now I realize we said about the mentorship, the invisible mentorship is the mistakes. I want people to remember that. And um, I feel that there was like a, a triune um, form of selling because you're selling yourself, but it manifested into two forms with music and food. And that's why I feel like you was able to be vulnerable, it seems, because you just being yourself, you wasn't putting on a facade, you didn't have to pretend, and people just loved Levi for Levi. So you actually you actually seem to be selling yourself, and that's just a, the food and the music is an extension of you. <laughs> that's, that's the, that is so powerful. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah, you know, Akila, because when I say to people, be the best of you, yeah. I don't mean be the best of someone else by pretending to be you and leaving out mm-hmm. the bits that you don't like. Because um, even even as investors, um, mm. investors want to see the real you. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so if you're trying to sell yourself in in any way, you know, you have to be natural. Um, so the the real you comes across. And and I suppose when I stood in front of those guys on on the TV, and and the mistakes comes around, you know, they saw that yes, the first bit was great, you know, Levi with his guitar, the Rasta man, I come out and I say, put some music in your food, everything nice in that mm-hmm. kind of part. But it's then it's, it's the uncomfortable bits with the numbers um, that they saw. But but by then. They knew where the real person were. It wasn't about the numbers. That's not that's not where they want the investment to be. And sure. and it's the same way I would look at investment right now. Sure. When a, a young person comes in front of me with a great idea, I'm not looking at the product. I'm looking at whether the person can help to sell the product. Okay. And then right. with my with my skill and my know-how and my, and you know and my experience, then I will help him to fix the product in a way that he'll be able to sell it long term. And and I learned that you know just by by seeing how these investors dealt with me when I was in that position. Mm. So we're going to come to one of the most famous moments in British TV history. <laughs> but I, we can't while we're talking about music, we can't skip over the fact. I understand you you played for Nelson Mandela and you played for yeah. James Brown as well. Can you just tell us about these? Because these are these are golden moments. Yeah, golden moments for me. I tell you, you know, is these. You know, you're always searching for stories to tell. I don't have to search for stories. I tell these stories forever, you know, because they, they are my best stories. And, and I love dropping these names. Playing football with the great Bob Marley in Battersea Park. What a, what a gig. Um, <laughs> he was a great footballer, by the way. Absolutely <laughs> amazing. And then life blossoms again and allowed me to, 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 to be in front of perhaps the greatest man in the world to me anyway, Nelson Mandela, came to my beloved Brixton. And again, Faith had, had me standing at the bottom of the staircase with a birthday cake. And the great man is coming down the, the escalator. Like he's like flying on wings. He's like floating, coming, coming down on the escalator. And I'm at the bottom of the escalator with a cake, singing happy birthday, Mr. President. 
<laughs> Even now I say it, and this is probably my millionth time I, I talk about it, that, you know, that goosebump still can be, is it possible for you? But yes, of course it is. You know, if you put yourself in the right, in the right place, all is possible. Um, the James Brown thing, music, again, is to help me to, you know, to be in such great places and add such great story to tell. And, um, and he, was, he was one of the most inspirational people um, who I've managed to engage with within music. One other person, again, who was really inspirational that I managed to work with um, on stage as well, is the great Lee Scratch Perry. I've got I to gotta mention him because there is no doubt that he was one of the most influential people in, in my life within music, you know, from the dub time, from the time of the great dub clash with the great King Tubbies and Channel One and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful for all these, you know, great musicians and people who I've managed to come across. Well, that sounds like a huge career in itself, but let's, let's play your second uh, choice, which is The Promised Land by Dennis Brown. No relation to James, I don't think? No relation to James at all. Not that we know of anyway. Not that we know, but, <laughs> but, 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 but extraordinary only, good as well. Yes, I was going to say the only relation is that relation to do with, you know, great voice and great performer and, and great singer as well too. Obviously, Dennis Brown was everyone's favourite singer. Um, if you were from the time when he was singing, you know, he was always everyone's greatest singer. I mean, even Bob Marley said when they crowned the great Bob Marley as, as king, um, Bob Marley said that Dennis Brown was his favorite singer. Mm -hmm. So hence, Dennis Brown was always known as the crown prince of reggae, because obviously we couldn't have, we couldn't have two kings. So we respect him so much as, as being you know, one of our greatest singers of all time. And this track, Promised Land, again, with the tie-in with Aswad, which the first one, which is the first track I, I chose, it was Aswad that, that, um, that played this rhythm track called Warrior Charge. And it was a fantastic sound system dub back in there, just a dub without no vocals. And it was Dennis Brown that came along and put his vocal song, Promised Land, through to the rhythm track. And the rest is history, one of our greatest songs ever. Then we 
Blessed people. So we're gonna get into the entrepreneurial journey, but before we get into that, I just wanna um big up Levi Roots for the relationship that I see that he's got with his son uh, Chris, I believe. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the last one, and um, yeah, I, I, I'm because me, I'm a family man, innit? so I like to see that. You know, that's really inspirational, and I know that you've had um, you got eight overall, and to see yeah. your relationship with the last, it just shows a great level of um, inspiration for I and I. Uh, if you just talk about that first a little bit, and then we can get into the business and the entrepreneurial thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, Akila. Yeah, the, the journey with Christopher is, is just amazing for me because, you know, again, admittance is a great thing. And, and now, for me, admitting wrongs and stuff is an easy, easy thing to do. It was one of the hardest things for me when I was mm-hmm. quite younger. And, and I must admit that I, I was a rubbish father in my earlier days. You know, I've learned to be a, a mm-hmm. good father um, by trials and error. As I said, mistakes is feedback. And, and even in difficult things now, like parentage, it is the same thing. And, and with Christopher now, I've learned to be a, a better father. And, and I think even I can recognize that, um, that it's, there is a difference now. Because, you know, as I said, he came along when I was, when I was thinking that I probably didn't, didn't, was going to have any more children. And it's, it, that mm-hmm. blessing has just allowed me to be having such an amazing time with him. It's like my time all over again with all my kids in one. 
um, wow. in kind of a way. So it's it, it's a lovely thing to to, to do with it. And and as I suppose you know, on your your next your next um, topic of entrepreneurial journey to do with him. That is what I want to do now. You, you know, he's trying to install in him and all my kids uh, about the particular journey. Um, and if there's anything for for anyone to learn, I'm hoping them is the first one where we will grab um, the education from what I'm hoping to, to put out there. But my my journey, as you said, it's um it is my journey. I don't think anyone would would anybody else would would want to go to that particular way, um, that mm-hmm. difficult route to, to get to where you are. So make it easier um, by learning those crucial messages from early, um, by not sticking in your comfort zone. I think one of the the best lessons I, I learned back then is true failure again when nobody was buying the sauce when I, when I came up with it first. Um, I thought it was a great idea. I was selling lots at the carnival and I decided to, to give up my job and give up the music and go on the road and, and do the product and, and started to thinking that, wow, I live in Brixton, Caribbean area, you know, and other local areas. I think, great, I'm going to sell loads of Loads of sauce, you know what I'm saying? And I tell you, Akila, it was the wake up when I realized that nobody was buying it. People were telling mm-hmm. me, Lord of mercy, Levi, go away with your sauce. We don't want your sauce. Sell us your music, because we know you for that and we love you, but we don't want your sauce. Sell me some tunes like Jehovah and No Money Today and, and all them big tunes that I used to sing back in the day, but don't sell us no sauce. It didn't really click, Akila, trust me, because right. I, I, was, I, I thought it was an automatic thing. Caribbean people sell them Caribbeans. And I, was, I wasn't really a chef. I was just coming from somebody who loves to cook, um, but had a musical background, but now we're just trying to make a switch. And local people were saying, nah, we're not having that. But for me, it wasn't saying to put the sauce down. I don't mm-hmm. think the vibes was coming there. I think the vibes was coming from maybe I was in the wrong market um, yes. because I, I, I knew that people that were buying my sauce at the carnival wasn't particularly local people. So when I got to think about who my audience were at the carnival, I realized that these people were mainstream people that were coming that didn't particularly want the sauce too hot. Mm-hmm. They didn't want the sauce too mild either. They wanted right. something that was in between that was about flavors. That was what mainstream, that's what the vibes I was getting back from mainstream people. So I decided not to sell the sauce anymore locally. I gave up on locally. I decided to go to what I call the Shires mm. as, my, as my entrepreneurial okay. journey. Anyway, that at Shire at the end of it in the UK, that's where we decided oh, that that oh, to yeah, go yeah. to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the first place we went to was a place called Carmarthenshire. Um, yeah. That was the first place that we ventured out after you know I had the disaster of it not being sell locally. We went to Carmarthenshire, had a great time, sell off all the sauces. Nobody there ever seen a Rastaman with a guitar, a singer, song, but a reggae, reggae sauce. And these things. Did you sell from market stands was, or you sold to shops or where? Shops, farmers markets, weekend markets, wherever there was any kind of chili festivals or, or anything in the shires where there wouldn't be anybody like me around. We chose these specific yeah, places yeah. to go with the brand. And for about two years, we were in the shines, you know, every weekend, you know, where I'd be off and around um, and selling the sauce. And it was while I was on this journey um, to these kind of festivals 
uh, I was again in the same position. I had, I had the guitar out and I was singing and everyone was listening. It was so strange to see, for them to see what was happening, what I was doing. You know, this Rastaman with this long dreadlocks, he's got a guitar and he's selling a sauce and he's singing about his grandma wow. <laughs> and family life. And um, yeah, and a lady came over to me and she waited until everyone, everyone left at the end. And I, I kind of clocked her from earlier out. She was not in her to the song and everything. She didn't buy anything. But at the end of it, she came over and she gave me a business card and she says, um, she's from a program called Dragon's Game. Um, would I be interested? And I, I looked at her business card and I saw the program Dragon's Game. It was a blue card, blue BBC card. It had BBC on there. But I tell you what, Akila, as you know, as a Rasta man, if anyone comes around and tell you about nothing called dragons and all these mm. things, and you as a Rasta man, <laughs> the first thing you think of, yeah, I want to slay them dragons there or whatever. That, that, that Rastafari Jamaican comes in, kicks in, Naturally. that tells you that, yeah, it's something that you should be fearing, but as right. a Rasta man, you're not fearing it. Mm-hmm. You, get, you get my vibes? Because, because even as a kid, dragons are fearsome things. If people tell you say dragons, it's it's sure. it things it should be fearful from you. But as the Rastaman, as the dread, because that's what mm-hmm. we call ourselves, the dread. And dread means fear. Fear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? So okay. you carry that thing that makes other things fear fearful. That wow. is what the rat the, the Rast is. That's why we look like this. To say okay. that we're not a laughing thing mm-hmm. unless we want to laugh. So when she said, when she says that this is called Dragon's Den, I'd never heard the show. I'd never seen it. Nobody had ever mentioned Dragon's Den to me, even though I don't really watch TV too much. So I didn't really clue up about it. But I gave her back, I wanted to give her back the card because I was thinking that maybe it's one of these shows that they're going to ask me to be like eating kangaroo testicles and, and all these type of things like that. And I was thinking that, Lord have mercy, I don't think it's a thing where Rastaman could really go up on the show and do. So I wanted to give her back the card, but she still, she says, she says, Levi, look, if anybody tells you about this TV show, then give me a ring and I'll be happy to, to, to vouch for you to be on the show. So I took the card from her. And when I went home with it, my children, they were saying the same thing, you know, dad, you know, you can't sing on the show. I told a few friends that I've been offered to go. They said the same thing, Levi, don't go up on the show. It's not X Factor. It's, you know, it's, you, you can't sing. It's about business. You know, I feel like the only person that gives me a, a good vibe was my mom. When I went to see her and I tell her about the same dragon, Thing and the fearfulness of the dragon and you know should I did she was the only one that said she said pick up the Bible and I pick up the Bible she says go to Psalm 23 mm-hmm. I go to Psalm 23 and even when she said for read the Psalm I said to her I said mommy look me I go up on this thing here and I yeah tell me for read Bible and all these things and she she, <laughs> she said she says calm down son mm-hmm. read Psalm 23 so I start to read you know Psalm 23 the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The minute yeah. I got to that point where it says, I shall not want, she says, yeah. stop there. She says, uh-huh. stop there. Right. She said, if you go to your Rastafari, my mm-hmm. mother's a Christian, I didn't know she accepted me as a Rastafari, but she's a different thing to her. So she says, if you go to your Rastafari, you pray to him, and you will come back as a dragon slayer. You won't be wanting again. Like what the wow. psalm says, Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That was her point. My mom is telling me this in her front room. 
And she called you yes. Dragon Slayer. She was the first one. She was the first one That's that incredible. coined that crime. She says to me, if you're fearless, yeah. if you go to your Rasta, meaning that I must pray. And she wanted me to mean with the prayer. So she's not going to be telling me to pray to the Lord like how sometimes she normally would try for me to come over that side. You know what right, I'm saying? Right, right, right. She, she says, go to your Rastafari mm. and pray to him. You will, won't be wanting again. You will come back a dragon slayer. That was it, Akila. Everybody else had said, no, don't go. <laughs> this woman, this woman says, go. So I actually went to ask her for 20 quid to, 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 to pay the taxi fare and to go the next morning. And I left, I left her without even asking for the money. That oh, eventually the next morning when I was going and I realized that I didn't have the fear for the taxi. Um, and I couldn't take the bus because I had my guitar, I had the sauces and all these things. And yeah, Akila, I didn't even have the money for the for the taxi. We lived in Brixton. Um, Dragon's Den was being filmed in London Bridge, which is about three miles away from, from Brixton. So I couldn't take the bus, couldn't walk it, never had any kind of money at all. We'd look through our, me and the kids had looked through our pounds and stuff. And I think I found about six or, or seven pounds because we spent all the money to get the labels together and get the bottles together to go on the wow. show. So I yep. still called the taxi because faith was driving me in some kind of way. And I thought to myself, wow. you know what, even in the olden days, I, I wouldn't let something like this hold me back. So I, I still called mm. the taxi. The taxi mm. came. I put the stuff in the taxi. I never told him that I never had the, had the money to pay him. When we got there, it just came out. I just blurted out to him that, you know, sir, I'm going in that building there right now, BBC, and I explained to him. He never believed me. And I could see that he didn't really believe me when I was telling him, but he let me off anyway. Um, so I, I, I took my guitar and I took the sauces and I went through the door of BBC um, and got, got inside. My guitar string broke twice. Um, even if you were to look on the guitar, now into the, the, the look, you will see that the bottom E string is missing because uh -huh. it, it broke twice. I told, when it broke the first time, again, that spirit of who you are comes back and telling you of the doubts. And I'm thinking that some kind of spirit is against me. I, I looked around and I was the only black man in the people that said to me, don't go, um, you know, don't do it. And I'm in this room full of white people and everyone's talking and I'm the only black guy there with a the guitar. And I don't feel like I, I want to go anymore. Um, they came over and they said, oh, Mr. Roots, you know, please, we'll try and get you some strings. They sent for, they sent for somebody to get some, to get a, a bottom E string. I rushed, restringed up the guitar, trying to get nothing in again. But through nervousness, the string broke again, Akila. And I'm thinking that, yes, this is it. This is a sign. Get the hell out of here. I'm right. going to be, you know, completely going to be smashed. Mm -hmm. But... I again, you have to follow your vibes. Trust. My name was called just as I was thinking not to go on. It was my turn to go up the stairs with the five strings on the guitar, my bottom string missing. And the lady called yeah. Levi Roots at your time. And Akhil, I tell you, it, again, that faith in, in me because normally I probably wouldn't have done it. You know, everything is telling me it's against me. I'm not going to get the investment. Go home, save yourself. You're not going to be embarrassed in front of your kids and all them things because they will at least, you know, say, well, dad, you did the right thing. I still went up in front of me in the auditorium. It doesn't matter. I'm performing like there is two or three thousand people. 
um, because I'm in that mode. And I got to the top of the stairs. In those days, it was a stairs, if you remember, not a lift like Dragon's Den is now. And um, I went up the stairs and I had my guitar and I saw the five multimillionaires white guys in front of me. I thought it was 5,000 white people in front of me. That's my mindset because I've got my mm -hmm. guitar. I'm, I'm in performance mode. And I opened my mouth. I strummed the first chord. And it sounded okay. Put some music in my food for me and give me some reggae, reggae sauce. At reggae, reggae sauce. It's so nice. I had to name it twice. I called it reggae, reggae sauce. At reggae, reggae sauce. Put some reggae sauce on your list. Thank you. The song is doing its job as reggae music does to anybody when they hear it. Um, and I saw Richard Farley, one of the dragons on my left hand side, and he was doing a little tap on his desk with his fingers, like a little, you know, a little thing, like a little jiggy thing. Exactly. And when I saw that, I thought to myself, yeah, the music is doing what it is. And it just gave me the impetus to finish the song, even in my nervousness and, and everything. Um, and finish the song, great, everything's fine. I felt on top of the world, as you can see in, in the show. You know, no sweating or not now, go on. But, you know, again, fate comes in different ways, you know, because Peter, Peter Jones, who's, who's, who's my mentor and still is my business partner now, he wasn't interested that I had my numbers wrong and I didn't look like the archetypal type of businessman or anything. He was inspired by the fact that I had the audacity mm. to come on the show. <laughs> and he tried the sauce. Right. And that's yeah. when I knew that I, I was, I was going to get interested. Big him up, big him um, up. And, and the, yeah, absolutely. The, and the rest is history. Peter invested. I'm so glad that it was him and Richard. I think I got the best investor. We've become much more than just investors. Um, I brought my shares back from the other investor after mm -hmm. a short time. Yeah. But I, I think with this, with Peter, Peter is much more than just an investor. We are, we are really good friends also, which, you know, is an important oh, thing. When, absolutely. When you, have a partner, when you have a partnership. And the business has gone strength to strength um, from, from him. I would never want him out. Um, I'm still the major shareholder uh, within the company. Um, but I think yes. the most important thing is having someone that knows more than you in business. And I that's right. This, and I repeat this for, for people out there that's how important it is to find a mentor, um, somebody that knows how to point you in the right direction. You don't know it all. And I think in, back in my earlier days, you know, when, when they did ask me at the point in Dragon's Day, when they said to me that, well, Mr. Levi, it looks like your numbers are a bit funky. And do you think that you got things wrong? Do you need some help? I tell you, Akila, in my early rude boy days, you know, I probably would have said, no, man, we are terrible, man. We don't need my help. Everything is okay. And, and try and blag it within that way. Uh, but I, I started the show by talking about admittance, if you remember. That's what I said. Yeah. But now, honestly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and it was in that moment, I think I got the investment and, and the majority of people that was rubbed, was watching the show, you know, felt for me because I actually put my hand up and says, yeah, you know, I may need some help, you know, 
in it. I can sing the song and I'm fine with the mix and the sauce and everything. But when it comes to business, that's what I'm here for. Is, is and I think that admitted to them was key that yeah. I wasn't this boisterous fella that that wouldn't wouldn't have learned or wouldn't have want to learn. And mm-hmm. it's important if somebody's going to invest in you that they will be able to 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 to, to inspire you in some kind of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that admittance was was crucial for me that I didn't fight that moment and mm-hmm. and the rest is history. That was what sixteen years ago. Amazing. What I find amazing about that clip that uh, watching it now is is um so so when you present with all the look and the music and the source and the culture, all the uh, Rastafari and, and, and reggae uh, brand, if you want. And, and, yeah. and, and you, there you are effectively in Babylon talking to five money people who are just basically you know, doing sums in their heads. And then you have this, this sort of chasm, this moment where, where, where the numbers sort of look wrong and, and you, you approach it with such humility, but without compromising the person that you really are. Yeah, and yeah, it feels to yeah. me this, that you made that early decision to build bridges, really, to take your product to the shires, not just to stay in Brixton. Yeah, and and I think if if a culture becomes totally introspective, it doesn't share the best of itself mm. with other people. Yeah, it doesn't learn. And I, yeah, I, I I really think that that you're unique and remarkable in that respect. Thank you so much. I I I totally believe you when you say about change. Because again, you know, with His Majesty, I, I will always remember one of the his words and that inspired me about how about change. That that he said something to the effect of whatever country you find yourself in, you have to respect mm-hmm. that country or that situation that you don't control. And mm-hmm. and again, you know, that's always stood stood with me. And I, I'm an unconventional restaurant, even from the early days with my music, because I remember even when I was with Matic 16 and started my, my early music, um, I was with Coxon, I'm just going back to that, Coxon that plays international reggae up front. And when I started, I went the route of Jashaka. You recall Jahovi and all these songs. Wasn't exactly the type of songs that Shaka, that Coxon would have played. Yeah. But, but I, I had figured that Shaka was on the road to a change back then. I really did. I, I, I figured that they were on to creating something special. And the reason why I bring that up is because I think the music that, that's popular in this country right now is the music of Jashaka. Because it was through jung, it was through his music that jungle came and drum and Very bass true. and and all that. It really that was. It why, absolutely was. Yeah. And and I I kind of saw that I had to change for some ways secretly, unknowing to my Coxon blacker than me. I I did it in a way that that I could still be a member of Coxon, but did the right thing because Coxon wanted to stay traditional. It didn't want to change at all. We just wanted to be that sound that just just play in the way that it did. But here was Shaka that was saying that, you know, I want to go a different route and do something else that was more mainstream. And it was it, my following of him neatly um, helped me to form my musical career, which became a sort of a dub styley, the Shaka styley. So it, again, it's that admittance of change of who you are and be fearless enough to grab the change and, and I've just I've got to fit in my my most in, important genre um mentoring thing which I've always got to, and put it to um to Julius Caesar um to Brutus um where I says you know Brutus you know although some people may see him as some kind of 
traitor or, or whatever thing, but I think he's a patriot. And and he, he said that there's a tide in the affairs of man. Mm-hmm. Taking up the floods will lead to fortune. And I'm not going to say it all because I'm sure mm-hmm. you can look up the whole thing that, that he said, not unless you want me to. But um, he was saying that you need to take the current when it serves or lose your ventures. That you have to take your chance when it comes. When your luck comes, for instance, if you don't, mm-hmm. if you're not in the right place at the right time, you know, by following your own self or your intuition to get to the right place, then many a times your ship arrives and you don't even know it was there. Your moment for, for, for richness or whatever you're looking for, it doesn't have to be money, whether it's the right girl. Um, mm-hmm. If you don't dress and go to the right place or the right club and yeah, go yeah. to the ones that you think it is, you're, mm-hmm. you're not going to be. So, and I've always followed that, you know, those words from Brutus. He said, take the current when it serves or lose your ventures. And it was mm-hmm. because I did that why I've had some fantastic adventures, you know, since I managed to, to realize my own self. Let's drop in a third track Declaration of Rights yes, by sir. the Abyssinian. Completely yeah. <laughs> classic. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, the talisman came to our local cooperative pub and they played this song uh, in a fundraiser for Fairfield House. It was beautiful to hear it and dance it. Do you want to say anything about the Declaration of Rights? I mean, it's just classic, isn't it? Yeah, I, I chose this track, Declaration of Rights by the Abyssinians, because as again, the turning point of my life when I was searching for as much words, as, as much songs that can change my life. And that was just songs that were singing about, you know, the sexes or whatever it is. I love you, you love me. I wanted to find songs that could actually take me places long term. And, and this song is an absolute reggae classic. And it's one that will take you places long term. Just to sleep in this big plan. 
So that was uh, the Declaration of Rights by the Abyssinians. Uh, you're listening to Imperial Voice. This is In Our City. Akhila is guest presenting while Tozin is in hospital. And we are talking to none other than the entrepreneur, broadcaster, author, chef, uh, Levi Roots himself. And it's a great privilege to have you on the show, Levi. Could we talk about brands? Because you presented Reggae Sauce with a very strong image and with brand and with music. I think Rastafari generally have this incredibly strong brand of music and the colors and the Imperial Ethiopian heritage, which they claimed for their own and nobody else took it. I mean, the Ethiopians rejected it after the revolution. Only the Rastafari took all those flags and that imagery forward. So, I mean, do tell us, because I'm sure all listeners want to know, what do you think the reggae, reggae source brand is worth nowadays? Oh, <laughs> I, I, I think it's worth, it's worth everything to everyone, yes, you know, sir. Um, because it is music. And, and I've never claimed to own this term reggae or reggae, reggae. What, what I did is merge my two passions together, um, the, the music and the food, to create something that was unique for me, for me to express who yeah. I was. And you can only express who you are through the things that you work with or, or the things that surround yeah. you. And these things are most were most important to me. So I, I decided to merge them and make them my brand. So I so whenever I express about them, I'm always truthful. Brands are something that people have to buy into the brand. Hence the truth thing comes into it. Um if 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 I was Miss Dines, for instance, who perhaps don't have a face and people just buy you as the as the products, that is fine. But it doesn't become personal, like as if like it's a living, yeah. breathing person that people are buying into. Yeah, yours is like a very personal brand, so, isn't it? It's a personal brand. But, yeah. But then I mean, yeah. you did a, a a really significant deal in a very visible way on TV with some really hard-headed investors, and it's been incredibly successful. I wonder what steps you had to take to protect your brand and your personal image. And also, I wonder whether the community more generally could have taken more steps to protect the Rastafari brand and colors and flags and things. Yeah, I think the protection for, that's a good, really good question, by the way. I, th I think my protection personally comes from just who I am. There is no need to protect, to, to protect that. Um, because it's it's you, and it becomes very difficult when you protect your own self. Um, 
And, and I don't want the public to think that Levi Roots is a brand and not a person. Um, mm -hmm. And it has to be real. It's, it's a bit difficult in, in that kind of way because I'll give you one scenario, you know, in, in a restaurant. Um, I open a restaurant. If I'm not there every night, not everyone comes, which is not really good for business um, in that kind of respect. So in, in one hand, it works, and, and on the other hand, and then it doesn't. But the brand has to have the integrity if you, if you want to, to have it last for a long time. And, I, and you mentioned Rastafari, and I think it's, it's that... Rastafari and Jamaican and reggae that gives the Levi Roots brand the integrity. I mean, I have these colors here, which I'm wearing now, black, gold, and green. That that is integrity when you when you come to reggae, when you're selling, and even Caribbean when you're saying you're selling Caribbean food. So it's 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 a dangerous ploy yeah. um, to play when it comes to when it comes to branding. But as I said, it's one if the public sees you as something they want to invest in. It's, I think it's a beautiful one because um, I don't have bad fans and in that kind of way, depending on who you are. And, and I tend to think that, you know, I don't fall out drunk out of a pub on a Friday night and, you know, I, I don't do anything against the integrity of the brand. For instance, I can't do pork no matter how much money I'm offered. And, and obviously as a barbecue brand, I leave you to think of the amount of times I've had to turn down the odd you know, barbecue pork over the years that has, has, has come to me by different yeah. friends. But I, I think it's that integrity people are buying into that if I was to step away from that and think that the brand is is the man and not, the, you know, everything that comes with it, then, then there is that particular danger. Powerful. And, and I mean, you're a super successful entrepreneur. Are there many other Rastafari entrepreneurs that you know of? Yeah, I, I suppose when you say Rastafari, <laughs> um, there are many lux, lux people that I know that, that has lux that are very yeah. successful. Um, you know, not just in music. That in, not just in music. No, absolutely not. I mean, you know, I know doctors, I know lawyers, and you know, that, that's lux. But I think when you say Rasta, that's something that has to pertain to the individual for, for them to reveal themselves. And, and I can clearly reveal to you that I, I, I am indeed a Rastaman and I've been for the past 50 years. Um, yeah, so I, I think it's a personal thing that you take on because that pain of being a Rastaman as well too comes from, as I said, that journey that, that, that you have to take. Um, um, that's what being a, a Rasta means. Um, but, but as a brand, you know, I think it's a beautiful thing that people are buying into something which is holistic, um, which is not saying that it's about color. You know, it's not saying it's about creed or religion. You don't have to dance to any particular music. I think people, people accept Rastafari as something which is completely holistic when it comes to, to, um, to a way of life. I wouldn't say religion, but the way people live. Anyone can be a Rasta. I think we should do our last questions. Like, yeah, and, um, well, yeah. Okay. Okay, I'll do one question. So um, in relation to, you know, us as, you know, black people, people that are coming from, you know, poverty-stricken areas, um, a lot of times they have like a crabs in a bottle or crabs in a bucket sort of mentality. And um, scripturally, yeah. they, they would um, refer to that as um, no profit is accepted in their own environment. So it seems that you kind of experienced that when you was trying to, you know, sell certain things people was not embracing you. Did you acknowledge it as a, 
something spiritual or did you just simply acknowledge it as people are not sure your market is not here? Did you acknowledge that there was a spiritual significance to it as well? Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that analogy, mm. you know, that having a viral analogy that you made mm. there, because it is like mm-hmm. that. But I, I suppose the important thing is is to be a crab that's in control, <laughs> because right. we're always in a barrel in, a, in our community, because the system makes the community like that. It's not the people that True. creates True. this crab in a barrel situation. It is the system. But I Very suppose true. even in, in those tribulations of being in that barrel of, of the system, you have to be a smart crab. Um, there's nobody who can say, let's take ourselves out of that. And we go and live in the shires and don't care about the bodies. No, we, we're, still, we're still there. But I think it's an important of how you maneuver, maneuver yourself to be able to get out. Because the smart crab will always get to the top. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So it's, it's, to, it's to have that mindset of not thinking that, you know, I want a quick solve solution that's mm-hmm. going to take me out of there and bring me, you know, in, into, into my journey's end, um, is, is working out how to be able to, to maneuver yourself. To, to, that, that is the tricky part. And that's why the crab in a barrel situation with everybody's pulling everybody down and nobody gets up, get, gets up there. But mm-hmm. it, it is only the, the clever ones. And, and the, um, I think there are many people out there that I recognize now that I didn't know back in the day of our people who are really focused and, and has managed to claw themselves out by being very clever and, you know, and still represent, represent themselves because I still live in Brixton. I, I, I'm talking to you right now from Brixton where I've always lived, where wow. a lot of people think that, you know, you're rich and you move and you're gone with this and you're that and, and you're, this, and you're only talking like you're, you're talking. I still live here. I'm still in the barrow, but Is I've cleverly moved, <laughs> maneuvered myself um, to the preferred at the top. Um, mm-hmm. after barrel and, and I think if we can all think like that then mm. there wouldn't be this complete struggle there will always be but you know, it will be easier for some of us to elevate ourselves and then we'd be able to see more people looking like me to, to represent represent business um, as I would say it's far, I, the question before was are there there are but there are far and few between mm. the people that can express themselves as Rastafari but yet being able to sit in a boardroom and, and conduct a multi-million pound business. And um, it's normal, um, just like any other businesses out there. My last question. I've really enjoyed listening to you. Thank you so much. The, the last thing I wanted to ask you, I mean, but by any measure, you've made a, a great success of, of your career in kind of modern Britain. You've chosen to be a devout follower of his Imperial Majesty. We have embarked this legacy from his Imperial Majesty. He, he gave us his house. And I, I wondered how you would see the significance and the potential of his Majesty's legacy to, to our society in Britain, in the Britain that you know and that you've succeeded in. I think without Rastafari, we would be like what Marcus Garvey said, a tree without root. Um, and I think that it was a really important word to him by saying that we have to have a foundation. We have to have something to hold on to as an identity. I, I came to His Majesty because I, I wasn't pleased with the picture that my mother had on her walls and many other um, front rooms that I went into that had the same picture. Uh, I wasn't pleased with that. I, I wanted to have a different vision of a savior, of someone 
who could inspire me. It's not about gods. Um, Rastafari has never been about that. It, it is about an inspirator, somebody who could inspire you differently. Like we have many inspirators now um, that I look to to inspire me in different ways. And I, I wanted to have a different image than what my, my parents did. And that's what brought me to it. To it. So people come to Rastafari for different things and, and for, for many dif different reasons. Um, but I, I found it to be my savior in something that something or someone who I can focus on and, and accept whatever decision comes, comes my way through that focus. So through that, people may call it prayer. Um, whatever comes my way through that, because I am looking into myself. Um, I accepted that and, and that's been my way forward. Well, thank you so much. I want to thank you both. Uh, Levi Roots, I want to thank you for joining us on, uh, on Imperial Voice. And, and Rasa Klila, you've worked for months, I know, to put this together. So thank you for your, your faith and dedication in, in, in uh, making this interview possible. Can, can, I just, can I just say, sorry, before you say that, I want to say, because you're saying about the brethren, is it Tulsi? Yes. Tosin, yeah. I just said that he's under a bit of a pressure she, at the moment. I just want to say big respect. Is it yeah, she? Yeah? Tosin, yeah, she, yes. Yeah. yeah. Can I say big respect to Tosin, big respect in every aspect, blessings and prospect. Guess well soon, Rastafari. Uh, Thank you so much. Akleela, final thought from you? Yes, I just want to give thanks for this day, give thanks for the reasoning, and um, also large up Maria, the, um, who works with Levi, for you know helping to bring this into fruition. Yes, sir. You're listening to Imperial Voice. This has been in our city. Our guest has been Levi Roots, and my co-host has been Rasa Klila. Stay tuned to Imperial Voice. Thank you so much. Cool. Respect. The question, I didn't, the question I didn't ask, Levi, is what happened when you tried to come to Fairfield House? I'm not sure I want to hear this, but you better tell me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was closed <laughs> and I was so I'm upset. sorry. <laughs> I, I, did, I brought my family and everything that we made a day of it and everything like that. And it's covered, yeah, with the that. Listen, we are now open to the public. The problem is it's a council-owned building used for elder care and there were no arrangements for the public. But now we've, we've set up yeah. this um, social enterprise, a CIC. We have a budget. We take a lease next month from the council. Great. We open to the public every Sunday and we can do special visits by prior arrangement. So you can bring, you can oh, bring the whole company. Yeah, yeah. You can bring the family. Yeah, well, yeah, you say that because nowadays I, I'm actually chairman of the St. Paul's well, College. You must come to this part of the world quite yes. regularly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, I do now. I've been chairman since yeah. last year. It's a three-year tenure. So I will now just get prepared for next year's carnival after we did a small one this year. Yeah. We do a yeah. full one. 
um, because of the COVID situation. But we're just now preparing for Carnival 2023, and, and I'm sure once I, I you know I put it to the board, maybe there's some sort of association can happen. We'd be delighted. We're, we're, I mean, the, the volunteers are much more numerous now. We're much more organised. We're working with a local university on cultural partnership. They, they send students here. We, we rent some rooms for income. We have a little shop and also we open to the public. We took over 2000 pounds last, last Sunday alone. Um, amazing, amazing. So it's really, oh, it's really oh, motoring. And you just tell us when you'd like to come. I'm sure Akhila can, can adjust the diary mm-hmm. and come and join us. We can, we can, yeah, you absolutely. can have your own uh, personal historic tour of the house. We have some artifacts to show some things which people have donated or lent to the house. And, and we do um, quite a strong job now of telling the history of Rastafari when he came to Britain why this is important, the history of the fascism, of, of, of the rise of, of the faith and the importance of his legacy, which I think is transformative to a place like Bath, you know, which is a bit complacent about its history. Yeah. yeah. So we'd love to see yeah. you just, you're a busy man, but you tell us when you can make it. We'll make all the arrangements. All we'll right. do, we'll do. All right. Thank you so Thank much, you so William. Much. Akrila, big respect, okay. sir. Yes, you're right. <laughs> Bye.